but behind the scenes. So at Children and Screens, what we're trying to do is bring together a cross-disciplinary, interdisciplinary group of scientists, experts, mm -hmm. who can take on different aspects of social media and its impacts, whether it's physical, you know, what's happening with my eyes, what's happening with my hands, what's mm -hmm. happening with my weight because of what I'm doing on social media, much less what are the harmful social emotional impacts, particularly to adolescent girls. We know that they're really, really vulnerable and susceptible to some of the content and its addictive nature. So we're really right. bringing together this, this big group of experts to help us research the impact and, and provide you know, real scientific evidence of what to do. Hi, John. Nice to be here. So you, so, I mean, I looked uh, up your stuff and I checked out the website and whatever. This is like one of those things that I feel like, I don't know that it's not talked about enough or um, it's just that there's so much going on all the time that it might get drowned out. I don't know how you feel about the topic in particular, but if I have it correct, you are um, in the business of studying the effect social media and literally screens have on the development of kids. Um, do you also look into what it's doing to us now and what it's <laughs> the advent of it? Or, or is it just like starting from day one going forward? We're really focusing on children, it, children's mm -hmm. screens. We know though that, that screens and digital media, social media impacting everybody that's online. So um, mm -hmm. in order to be sure that we got you know, sort of a deeper dive and increased our knowledge about the impact on children. We've limited ourselves to studying children at okay. the Institute. Is this, is this one of those things that you feel like, cause I, I don't know um, how true this statement is that I'm going to say in a second, but basically, you know, we're more of a, um, you know, we, we handle things after the fact. Like, I, I feel like there's a lot of people like you throughout history who have been like, does anybody see that fucking comet coming? <laughs> and they're like, and then people are like, we'll deal with it when it gets here, lady, you know, mm -hmm. and then whatever. Like, does this feel like something that you can get ahead of? Um, or is it just more about handling it as it's happening? Well, I mean, the reality is we're handling it many, many years after it, it the advent of social media. I think most mm -hmm. people would peg the beginning of that to be around 2010 when Facebook went you know, right. beyond college campuses and ended up sort of on everybody's smartphone, which coincides with kind of the advent of the smartphone. But the um, point you make is one that I scratch my head about all the time when I think about other public health issues that we've grappled with in society and decided we want to do something about, whether it's smoking or seatbelts or flossing mm -hmm. for that matter. We decide after we see what the bad outcomes are Right. that we don't want to have those bad outcomes anymore. We want to have better outcomes. We want to make ourselves healthier. We want to live longer. We don't right. want to have accidents. Um, so we move to a prevention model, but it's tougher to be sure to do, try to do prevention, early intervention after that 
that harmful activity behavior is already so well integrated into our lives. Right. Is it hard to get something labeled a public health concern that like, how long does that like, how uh, detrimental to this issue is it to make sure that the, you know, government and the general public understand that this is a, a health issue? It's really tough because um, once you are able to cross over into that, um, into that stage of a, of a, of a crisis, you're essentially making everyone accountable, right? So there's mm -hmm. a resistance often from policymakers and from local, state, national government to acknowledge that something's a public health crisis because then they have to share in the, in the response. And right. we know how expensive and challenging it can be to develop a response. We just came out of a pandemic. You can see what a public <laughs> health crisis can, you know, and an extreme example, how very, you know, expensive and and difficult it was for us to navigate through that and 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 then you bring up something like social media it, it, it's already a bit of a leap you know for people to think of something that seems like recreation and enjoyment um to be you know recategorized as a public health crisis is a big is a big leap but we know from from tobacco even you know other other recreational uh, activities people engage in that, that, right. that often you're you're later given more information about what that is doing sure. probably doing to you if you continue right. to do it or too much of it right so there's a couple of questions i have about social media in general as um when you juxtapose them with like you know the tobacco industry and stuff like that because i feel like those kind of things um they have one result that happens at the end of it, which is if you smoke, you probably wind up getting lung cancer or there's, you know, there's like a, but, but with social media and stuff, there's, you know, there's, it's fractured, you know what I mean? So it's not just one area, one particular thing it targets that injures you. It's misinformation. It's a mental state. It's your, your personal appearance, you know, um, sleep deprivation, like all this other shit that affects you. Like, cause you know, the screens have a, a thing on your sleep and all that other stuff. It messes with your REM sleep. Um, what is, is that a particular thing that you're trying to like, how do you, how do you handle all of those things as opposed to hey, smoking gives you cancer. So we can tackle that on one end. How do you guys handle like that? Oh my God, there's so much, you know, uh, it could do to you. Well, I'm sure the people who were thinking about tobacco and its impacts were unpacking it in a way that they thought there were multiple angles and multiple ways of addressing that issue. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, social media, because this is really an area where we're all starting to become increasingly alarmed. Yeah. There are multiple angles. You brought up one. We're choosing to focus on its impact on children. But yeah. we know that it's impacting everybody. Mm -hmm. And we also paid close attention last year when Francis Haugen former Facebook meta employee, um, released yes. documents and testified in front of the United States Congress about what meta knew about their product, mm -hmm. who they thought it was impacting, what they knew about the harm, and frankly, what they didn't do to mitigate right. that harm. So it's not, an, you know, we all probably have a mental image of a congressional hearing about a really important topic where you line up the executives in front of the dais and they're asked questions about the product that they're they're selling. Right. And often the answers aren't terribly satisfying, right? We don't get we don't get a straight answer from them. So it requires like a whistleblower or somebody sure. to 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 help us understand a little bit better about what's going on behind the scenes. So at children's screens, what we're trying to do 
is bring together a cross-disciplinary, interdisciplinary group of scientists, experts, mm -hmm. who can take on different aspects of social media and its impacts, whether it's physical, you know, what's happening with my eyes, what's happening with my hands, what's mm -hmm. happening with my weight because of what I'm doing on social media, much less what are the harmful social emotional impacts, particularly to adolescent girls. We know that they're really, really vulnerable and susceptible to some of the content and its addictive nature. So we're really right. bringing together this, this big group of experts to help us research the impact and, and provide, you know, real scientific evidence of what to do, what's happening, what to do next. What do you say to people who talk about um, maybe personal freedoms and individuality, you know, because there's going to be people that are definitely going to be like, hey, you know, it affects everybody differently. You know, I've got a kid who uh, is on social media all the time and they're a straight A student and they're fine. I mean, how do you weigh the outcomes for because I, I, I've talked to somebody, um, his name is Dr. Richard Firth, and he wrote a book called The uh, um, uh, Human History of Emotion. And we were talking about resiliency at one point. And I know that they have like scientists to this day really don't understand what makes somebody particularly resilient and somebody not resilient, which I always find fascinating. Right. But like, I feel like that's an obstacle for people who just want to see the money side of it and not necessarily the, the impact it's causing. And they're like, Oh, you know, we're making bank on this end. So I got a kid who's perfectly fine. They're on their phone 12 hours a day. You know, like, do you have a, a way to battle that? Um, I, there are many ways to battle it. We come up with tips for parents all the time. We put experts right in front of parents through webinars and other, other events and convenings. But what you're bringing up is something that's kind of interesting, which gets at, you know, how much, how much freedom should we all have and how much freedom should children have? How much privacy mm -hmm. should children have? And I think yeah. it's really just gets down to some very basic literacy. So, you know, you brought up the point of, you know, sort of whether or not people have emotional literacy, like, do you understand what you're feeling? Do you know how to talk about that? Sure. Do you understand what it means when somebody's doing this? Well, social, you know, digital literacy, media literacy, similar thing. It's a skill set. It's a really smart thing as you're raising children to just bring them into the conversation about what social media is and isn't, mm -hmm. what they think some of the harms are, to engage your child basically in their own, you know, healthy behavior. So if I know that if I'm on something too many hours per day, these things are likely to occur, yes. then I can try to manage, monitor myself. I think that's the ideal outcome. You have a, you have a child with so much impulse control mm -hmm. and so much executive function that they can manage themselves that well. And if you just put yourself in the situation, how well are we as adults managing ourselves on these devices, right? Not like well. you, you get the report <laughs> at the end of the day that says you are on your phone 36% longer today or this week than you were last week. And you're, you just feel like, oh no, you know, those 36, those 36 minutes or hours, what I could have done, what I should have done yeah. with that time. That's kind of the conversation you want to have with kids is what are you giving up? Yeah. When you're online that you could have been doing that might have been a really wonderful thing for you to be doing. Should you have just right. visited with a friend? Should you have been physically active? Should you have just, you know, sort of walk the dog around the block? Almost anything is sure. is probably better for your overall well-being than sitting for too long on social media. Okay. Well, how how much of this though is fighting against the time we're currently living in, though? You know, like um I find it I I I'm 37 years old and I try very, very hard not to get uh, old man yelly. 
when it comes to, you know, like, but I really do because I never want to be that guy. And I don't really think yeah. I am at heart, but I do like, I think there's a, I, I don't know, man, this is, this is one of those things I struggle with because in my mind, I feel like there's a clear distinction between past decades. I mean, like, I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not particularly one of those people who's like, uh, you know, this guy's a boomer. I hate those general terms. I think they're reductive and I don't think they help the conversation at all. But, you know, I do think there's a, a, um, a clear distinction maybe between when I grew up and maybe like somebody from the 80s looking at somebody from the 50s where you're like, okay, that's a different way of thinking. It's not about the way of thinking anymore. It's literally like the etiquette with which we communicate is changing. And I don't know what if I if it's my job to say, hey, man, you're not communicating properly anymore, you know, because you're on your phone all the time or you're getting your information from, you know, how do you how do you just change all of that when you're like, no, this is for your benefit? Because I remember when people would tell me when I was younger, shit was for my benefit. And I'd be like, sure it is. <laughs> you know, like, like, uh -huh. this is how we live. That's how you live. Like, right. I feel it's a little bit different with this. I think it's harm. I think it's I don't know. I think it's way more harmful. Like I didn't like when people told me shit about video games. Like, and I and I I think video games actually helps people. Um, because I was never a fan of like the lyrics and songs dictate how you behave or the video games you play dictates. You know what I mean? Like Julie Andrews saying "Climb every mountain and I'll go hiking every weekend" is a fucking song. But mm -hmm. like you know, like it's. Mm -hmm. But I think that I I don't know. I just think there's a different animal with social media, and I don't know. If, I'm, I'm sure you agree, but I don't know how to express it in a way that's like doesn't sound like I'm well, aging I mean, myself. I, I think you're explaining it really well. And I think there is this gray area and it's also iterative, right? So these things that these new technologies that come along, I mean, one might have argued at the time of the printing press, that was new technology. And it was a radical departure from storytelling, verbal or, you know, storytelling to written storytelling. And then you could, you could distribute a story such as the Bible or any other really, you know, or old, old text mm -hmm. to a much wider audience. And there it would be, they would have the opportunity to read that over and over again and pass it along. Right. At this point, what I think differentiates social media, digital media from previous media is the way in which it's so intelligent is the way in which it learns behavior. It learns your behaviors and adapts to your behavior changes on a very rapid cycle basis. Maybe mm -hmm. even with each each scroll, with each swipe, it's getting a little bit more information about you and what you do and do not like. And it's feeding you more and more of that. And it's interacting with the reward center in your brain yeah. in a way that is very different from music and text. It's, a, it's, it's going beyond that to a new realm of artificial intelligence Right. That we are, as you pointed out at the beginning, we're 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 behind. You know, the we being people who think about child development, the people who think about public policy, are behind where Meta is when it's already creating products that we know is are harmful to teenage girls in particular. Yes. Um, yeah. And so, do you think there's a social? I mean. You know, every everything changes. I was talking about the social, like the etiquette with like speaking and talking to each other. Mm -hmm. I don't. That's one of those things that I feel like is a dangerous thing, too, because people uh, I, I don't know. Communication is key. I, and I hate again. This is what this makes me sound like old man Yelly. But I'm like going outside, <laughs> seeing people in the store, interacting with your friend, with your neighbor, having to. There's so many people I know, like when I was even my, my friends and I have a weird timeline where we came up without it 
completely and then grew into it. We never came mm -hmm. up with it. So we we're mm -hmm. caught in the middle of like just having that kind of stuff. But like even then I knew people who, you know, wouldn't call Domino's to order pizza because they didn't like interacting over the phone. And now that they have this thing, they never have to make a phone call. And I feel like making a phone call is a crucial part of being in it. I know it's like a simple thing. It sounds like, but like, but I don't know how to convey How do you, how do you get the message out that that needs to be handled needs to be done without seeming like you're enforcing something against other people's will? Well, I mean, we all have different relationships to our digital lives in our devices. Mm -hmm. And I think what you're bringing up is there's a balance you have, it is a really important tool. It does so many things for us. They're really helpful. They've advanced all our communication with yes. each other, but you know, it, you're pointing out, well, there may be times where, you know, we're relying really way much too heavily on that one way of communicating, whether it's texting or um, posting versus mm. the old fashioned way of getting up and going outside and talking to somebody or texting, you know, or, or calling them. And I think it's really, we're at a point now where, we should be trying to do all of these things. It's really a balancing act and figuring out what your particular preferences are and, and, and really keeping yourself in real life. You know, like it's what's, yeah. what's kind of almost hard to distinguish anymore, right? Our, our digital lives and our real lives, they're, they're sort of, we, you know, they're sort of kind of merging together in a way that you, know, you and I probably see this all the time where we go, you can't go to a restaurant or a national monument or a park or anything without people posing to take their yeah. photo in front of that to prove they were at this for the their their followers. Absolutely, well, they're interact. They're in real life, but they're actually worried about their digital life, and so right. there is that. Um, and it's particularly difficult for younger, as you point out, that where they've never known a world that didn't have both actively occurring at the same time right. to create a sense of there's real life um, yeah. versus digital life. Is it, I mean, so with like people like Zuckerberg who's doing the meta thing and stuff like that, like obviously they're leaning into that kind of shit for profit. And there's a particular group of people who would kill to only have their lives exist virtually and and nothing else because the real world is too anxiety ridden and all this other shit. Um, but is it, you know, how do you go about maybe regulating that kind of thing when it when the Congress and all those people seem to side with the fact that this is a business and in a free market, if they if people want it, they win. How do you how do you fight a society that thinks that winning is giving up a lot of their mental health, their safety, their freedom, you know, that kind of thing? Mm hmm. Well, I think we have to differentiate between adults and children. Number one, we do right. have, we do as a society tend to come together more rapidly around what's good for kids. And okay. we take, we do take a stronger, I think, position around what's, you know, how to protect them from harm. Mm -hmm. That's one, what one differentiation. The second one I would make is just simply privacy. Something as basic as our privacy. We know children really need a lot of privacy. They're, mm -hmm. they're in a developmental phase of their lives where they're, they're changing so rapidly that to have something live on the internet forever that you said or did when you were 12 years old, uh, does it's that insane. seem fair? I, I, it doesn't no. seem right. Um, and so we have this idea that let's think about, you know, what's age appropriate. Right. And then can we all agree, big tech, policymakers, parents, can we all come together with like, what's just basic common sense? What's really the, what's, what's a responsible position? Shouldn't children have more sort of essentially be opting in versus opting out of something? Yeah. 
Um, and shouldn't a parent have something to say about what that thing, what that is, if it's a violent video game, if it's pornography, um, there yeah. are, there is content on the internet that is wildly inappropriate for right. young children. And they're at such, such a formative stage. And if they're exposed to something or they have the opportunity to use that over and over and over again, it actually mm-hmm. changes the trajectory of their development around yeah. that, around sexuality, around mm-hmm. uh, violent behaviors. It, it, it changes their self-image, especially adolescent girls, particularly vulnerable to body image and social comparison. Mm-hmm. So that's something that we know it's really important for them to have more of a normal experience with comparison, just the other girls you know at school versus right. every girl in the world. Um, so we, and you we regulated, know they're being modified, you know, right. in some ways. The, mo- the, the filters and stuff like that, it's outrageous. And it's kind of hard to convey that, like, not everybody, you know, I mean, needs to have, like, it, it's really, I feel like it's really hard for people to grow up and look at anything else objectively when they've only been looking at themselves through a filter. So -hmm. if you can alter Mm -hmm. how you look, how the hell are you supposed to gauge, you know, how something actually should be and should look and should feel in the real world. It's really weird. Um, Mm -hmm. Do you um, feel like there should be an age limit? Like, how would you regulate it? Like, what would be, what would be the move there? Cause like what alcohol is like, you know, 21 driving 16. Um, Would you, would you regulate kind of what social media or phones or, Well, I feel like, you know, 18 would be a good place to start. Um, Mm -hmm. There is an argument around brain development, just organically speaking, that that Mm -hmm. the brain is not fully, fully formed and fully developed until 25. 25. So that that seems a bit far out. So let's back that up and let's talk about 18 when you're at the age of consent and you're at the point in your life where, you know, you're an adult and in the eyes of the government, you're an adult, you're a taxpayer, you're a voter, you decide. But until that stage, I feel like we should have stricter rules for, you know, what kids under 18 can and cannot do without some parental awareness. Um, Mm -hmm. And more importantly, I think what we're starting to see, at least in California and maybe in other states soon, legislation that's coming out that's sort of saying back to the big tech companies, you have to prove that your products are not addictive to children right. in order for you to be allowed to have that out there. Um, and right. so there's a way that's going to be an interesting discussion, policy discussion among, you know, really parents for the most part and these companies where they, they, they know, we know at least from the testimony from Francis Haugen and the response from Facebook and Meta that they do know, but they're not taking steps to correct it. And then they kind of say, we would correct it, but it's too difficult because our AI isn't moving as fast as the content, which is sort of an odd answer to that. That's question. the weirdest answer because you control the content. So you then, do, you know, yeah. So why can't you further control the content, at least for a subsection, a subset of the population on your product. And then you brought up the best sort of point of all here is when companies are motivated by profits, Mm-hmm. share you know their shareholders or boards are motivated by profit until that changes on some level and it is no longer profitable to sell these things or give these things to children it'll be a fight to get right. it to change and then it puts so it puts the fight right back in the parents lap yeah. um and and individual parents i don't know if you're a parent yet John. no 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 
the but, government has intervened. I'm no longer I'm kidding, they, have money, but <laughs> <laughs> they won't let me have kids. <laughs> it's a really tough, tough fight because every day, every night you're in a you're you're struggling. You brought up why? Because it's a great form of communicate. It's a tool for communication yeah. and connection. And what's more important to a teenager than feeling connected to their peers? It's like it's, totally. it's essential. So you want to take away the one thing that's helping them feel connected. So you have to put all these sort of family rules in place. And then the pressure on everybody in the family is pretty intense. That's why we're looking upstream and thinking, what can big tech do to be more sensitive to, sure. you know, developing children and their parents and what the parents need help with? It's, it's too hard for one parent. It totally is. And the thing is, is like, if you got parents who, I mean, it's, it's like anything else. So, you know, depending on the financial stability of that family, they're going to have phones and they're going to have the best phones and they're going to have the best screens or whatever they're looking at on the market. It's like, you know, how do you keep, it's hard enough now with no regulation at all to keep kids who are financially, um, you know, burdened to keep up with technology and their friends with technology, but they have to have something, right? Because like, what do you, what do you, what do you do when like, you know, um, they're just kind of left behind. Like I have a friend who will not show his daughter a screen. It's, they have a no screen policy and mm -hmm. that's it. But I mean, what happens when she gets to school and all her friends have a phone and all her friends have had access to that kind of shit. Is she going to be, and again, you know, for us, individuality is important at this point in our lives. And maybe even when I was younger, I remember being like, I don't give a fuck what everybody else is doing. You know, I don't know why I was like that. I just kind of was. Um, but, you know, I know a lot of people aren't. And a lot of people, I, I you know, you kind of have that fear of like, fuck, is, are they going to be the outcast, the outsider? And you don't want them to have that either. But I, to your point, if you're trying to protect, you know, and figure out how not to ruin somebody's life as they're progressing, what do you do? You know, are they going to yeah. be the outcast? They're going to be not be able to communicate that way. Yeah, I mean, you you're touching on you know an area parents ask us about all the time when we have mm. uh, webinars and other resources for them, which is like, what can I do to protect my kids without undoing all of the progress they're making in their social life, right? Yeah. And so it gets into these smaller. You have to take it down to bite size. Um, decisions as a family, which get into almost like create a bit of a family media plan that's mm. everybody's contributing to. So it's not like a top down, I, it has to be my way or the highway. And right. then engage in little things like just kind of open up the communication around how it's feeling. You know, you might have a 13 year old who is for whatever reason, a little bit immune and they can look at social media, put it down, go off and do something. They're really fine. And you sure. might have a 17 year old who's devastated when they pick up their phone and look at Instagram for 30 minutes and they, and their whole day is ruined. Yep. Um, so you have to really understand your kid. You have to open up the communication and then keep the communication open about what it's like to experience social media. Mm -hmm. And then the thing that's hardest of all for parents is actually being a role model yourself. So if <laughs> you are, you know, kind of, you know, telling you're, you're being heavy handed with your kids. It's too much. You know, I'm taking it away. You can't have it. You don't know how to manage it. But then there you are um, mm. morning, noon and night on your phone and the, the, you're modeling that, you know, somehow it's okay. So you have yeah. to really be ready to change your own behavior or to make sure your kids really see you walking the talk mm. on that. It is really tough and really tough. And this might seem a little, um, you know, 
a little bit far afield, I don't know, for your listeners, but also just building in a, a different kind of behavior versus just no more of that, but in its right. place, put something in its place. We call them mindfulness breaks, but you can oh. do things that just, you know, help help your children sh shift their focus away sure. from that to something different that that's more that's probably more positive yeah that's so alarming though to me because now we're talking about personal responsibility and like mm -hmm. and the advent of covid you've seen that no one has fucking personal responsibility like it, it is a that is it worries it worries me a little bit <laughs> when it's mm -hmm. left up. you know again i don't want to force anything that i may throw but sometimes there, there are definitely times where i am like you know for big situations like with dealing with stuff like this or even like a pandemic or whatever, where I'm like, I really do just want somebody like I, I, you know, the, the mom and dad to come in and be like, all right, that's enough. That's enough. Mm -hmm. pan you've had enough, uh, uh, lax pandemic time. You're getting your shots, <laughs> you know, you're doing whatever, like it, cause it, I don't know. Like at that point you're like, all right, nobody's doing what they're supposed to be doing. Um, the, uh, so back to the screen thing, when I was a kid, we had AIM. Do you remember AIM? No. AOL, it was AOL Instant Messenger. Oh, AOL like, AIM. Yes, of course. Yeah. Yes. And we had like the, the thing we downloaded ever. I kind of, it's kind of funny. Like I think about that, like, and I wonder if I was able, because it was, it was detrimental to your well-being that day. I mean, if you went on AIM and you, and you saw somebody's <laughs> away message and they had some cryptic song lyrics up there and you're like, oh fuck, is that about me? You know, it's a girl you like or whatever they thing is. You know, um, that could mess up your whole mood, your whole afternoon, whatever it is. But like, I'm wondering, do you think it's because my generation did have that, didn't have that initially? So we were like, oh God, this is upsetting me. I'm going to go outside and take a walk or bike or play or go, or go meet some other people or whatever. I mean, you're getting to this point, the sort of the much bigger existential question mm -hmm. about what does it mean to be a child today? What does it mean to grow up in this right. society? What, what is good about it? That, and what should we enhance? What's not so great about it? What should we try to minimize? It's not all going to be, you know, we're, it's, we're never going back to the way it was. The pandemic mm -hmm. accelerated the amount of time children are spending on screens. And the reason for that is they went online for school also. Yeah. So when we had this buffer built in, in a sense, from, you know, morning till late afternoon, where children were offline in a classroom with their peers, with professional teachers, interacting with each other and having that experience. And I'm not suggesting it's great for all kids. I'm just saying it was a different experience. Then we replaced that with an online experience that then takes the child from morning to bedtime online. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that is honestly, you know, just the physical, you know, issues associated with that, the lack of movement, the, yeah. the strain on your eyes, you know, the thing that, that there are some real physical problems with that and we know children especially young children they need to move almost every 15 minutes you know just mm -hmm. to keep to keep their brain engaged it's yeah. actually how their brains work um and we want them instead to sit in a chair and stare at a screen and yeah. we know we just i i just think parents as i said earlier are in such a tough spot because these are the this is what's being offered to them yes here's entertainment it's on a tv a tablet a computer or a phone here's school it's on a tv a tablet owner yeah it, 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 uh, you know and then your children are saying but i'm doing homework but are they it, 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 it's uh <laughs> i heard it really we just had a really great webinar on ed tech last week and one of the presenters talked a lot about how the challenge of ed tech is that we've 
taken a device, let's call it for now a monitor or a television, mm -hmm. that we've always associated with entertainment, almost exclusively associated with entertainment. And we think that we can stop viewing it that way and reacting to it that way and all of a sudden treat it like it's work or school. Right. Like, our, like we could reformat our brains that that quickly. And in fact, we're finding it really it doesn't we it's it's really hard for us to distinguish from it is, you know, entertainment and getting something done. Productivity. Yeah. I wish I mean, how much of this do you think relies on the education system getting involved and kind of being um partners alongside with you guys to to manage this kind of stuff because i feel like that's you know everybody wants the educational system to change in some way shape or form and i feel like after the pandemic it also there's been a huge shift in how we're going to be learning and why we want to like why we're learning these things and and how hard it is for kids because there's some that really like you said did take to the screen time they're having a hard time they're better focused when they're at home you know whatever and then it's like mm -hmm. okay that's great but then what is this going to do to your social development you need to have some kind of there needs to be some kind of balance like mm -hmm. do you, are you guys actively working within school systems individually or do you work with the board of ed kind of thing? like how do you implement what your message is to what they're teaching yeah such a great question we're kind of at the very beginning of climbing that mountain which is trying to figure out how we would develop a, a, the toolkit that mm -hmm. that then school districts or individual schools could use to vet any ed tech that that they're thinking about using in the classroom what we've learned from the experts in the space around the world is that for the most part these programs these these tools that teachers are using have very little if any pedagogical educational value they were developed by you know engineers in silicon valley or wherever and it right. seemed like a good idea to gamify algebra and boom it's on <laughs> your chromebook and so right. you know did it go through a trial of any kind? Was it tested on all kinds of different kids, racial, different, right. different racial backgrounds, gender, et cetera? Or was it just something somebody figured out how to do and then they were able to market it successfully? And what we're right. seeing is primarily the latter, that things are just being successfully marketed as a solution to teaching algebra, teaching Spanish, um, giving, you know, giving the teacher a platform for teaching during the day. And we are concerned that there isn't again we're getting behind again we didn't come up with what the criteria were for a strong ed tech program that protects children's privacy on the back end doesn't allow for marketing while they're in the classroom Pr make sure that whatever's being delivered has been vetted by the, the school district it, it meets their standards mm -hmm. uh you know and it's inclusive and you know it, it is a positive experience for kids and there are some i don't want to say there aren't any but parents right. should just be aware that it's kind of the wild, wild west out there when it comes to ed tech. So if you see things coming home, don't assume that it's actually sure. working that well. Right, right. <laughs> it might um, not be. Yeah. I mean, do you think the implementation of like communal activities needs, because if you, if we can't get this done like legislatively, you know, and we can't, and it's, and it, or right away anyway. Are there are there steps to take to battle it? Like, let's say, okay, look, right now, while well, we're going through the process of figuring out what they can do at a certain age with their phones and stuff like that, in the meantime, we make sure that, okay, they're going to be on their phones regardless, but from this time to this time, we're doing a community activity and there's no phones involved. So all the people have to do this and then you do another time, you know, to get them involved. Mm -hmm. is that, is that That's a great, think? yes, that is a great technique. You can do quite a bit of schoolwork offline. 
You know, okay. some devices yeah. are single use devices. I've heard that was described at our EdTech webinar too, where, you know, the child doesn't have to be connected to the internet to complete an activity on a laptop that was, you know, like taking a test maybe even, or you can save it and then mm -hmm. mail it later or something like that. One thing we heard that was really worrisome was, you know, so many laptops and computers have cameras built into them, microphones built into them, and they're on. Their children, your children are on camera. Right. Um, sometimes they're a lot, you know, they're in their room, they're doing homework, but the, the school, the teacher, whomever has a, has a lens into your home. Mm -hmm. um, and where, it, and, and that's something to really think about, right? Yeah, like that's, absolutely. That's a, that's a different relationship to your, your privacy has changed dramatically yeah. by school being in your home, you not being at school. Right. So we're also trying to figure out, well, what, what should some of the protections be around audio video? access to children when they're not in the classroom and also what are some of the offline options so we don't have everybody connected all the time right um have you seen firsthand like is there are there examples that you guys can point to where because i know this is just beginning so like i mean i don't know if you would do it for somebody like me or but basically being like you know here's little timmy and he's been on the phone since he was you know uh four years old and here's a kid who has not and this is there, like, are there studies being done right now where like, this, these are two kids who have two completely different lifestyles and these are the pros and cons? A new study came out a couple of months ago from Yale that, that did study children who had used social media or had social media activity, SMA, quite, quite extreme. So let's mm. just say, you know, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 hours a day versus children who did not, who had very limited, lim you know, very little SMA act activity. And what they saw were some structural changes to the prefrontal cortex, the where the gray matter is that was starting to thin slightly. Right. So I think we are going to see more studies like that, where there's sort of an experimental group and a control group sort of naturally sorted out because of their behaviors. You can't, sure. it's hard to conduct <laughs> these studies as you can imagine. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to wind up on one of those 60 minute dateline things where they're no. like, they were separating twins and one had a Apple computer and the other one, you know, had a, had a stone carving thing. And, <laughs> an abacus. Yeah. An abacus. Yeah. An abacus. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And that study, you know, caused some of us to feel concerned. And there was even one that came out of Turkey uh, a couple of weeks ago that showed some early, early research that ex uh, extreme exposure, extensive exposure to blue light was possibly contributing to early onset of menses, menstruation in girls. And that's a physical shift, a physical wow. change that we don't understand enough about these devices and mm. right what the impacts really are. So those are a couple examples of of possible health or physical yeah. health impacts on children. Do you ever realize or ever think about how literally everything that we come out with that's new uh, affects us in a detrimental way? Like it's never like, hey, you know, blue light made this guy an amazing human being. Just, just he top became to a bottom. NASA astronaut. Yeah. <laughs> It's right. always something like fucked up. It's always something like blue light made them, you know, menstruate earlier. You're like, oh yeah. my god, are you kidding me? Or this yeah. thing, yeah, nothing is ever, you know, I, you you don't have a gluten allergy that makes you look like Brad Pitt. It's always like a gluten allergy. My eye blew up, and now I got, you know, I look like mm -hmm. the. It does seem that way. I mean, like just to be to try my very best to be balanced here. 
there are examples of kids benefiting from some online online communities. So, oh, yeah. you know, if you're an LGBTQI or you're worried about maybe a social issue, right. like gun safety, um, there are communities where you can join, you can learn things, you can be in a group, you can talk about your experience, feel supported. So there, but then again, that gets more towards just interaction and communication mm -hmm. versus interacting with a, a, a product like Facebook or Instagram that's designed to keep you engaging with it, over, you know, as, as yeah. long as possible. Um, there are also great examples of, in very young children, the, the benefits to having short video chats with grandparents, you oh, know, yeah. and, you know, and, and you all know from, from uh, the pandemic and social isolation, what, what, it, what, what a relief it was at times to actually call home. Oh yeah. Oh dude. <laughs> Online yes, exactly. and have your yeah. mom's face appear. You know, that was, you know, those right. are, those are, those are really, there are really positive examples of that happening. Yeah. That's a little different than and that's social media. It I'm sorry is. for turning away from it. I was about to sneeze and I didn't know what I was going to do. And I didn't sneeze, <laughs> but I didn't want you to be like, good I was just like covering a yawn or something like that. I was like, oh my God, I don't want to sneeze on camera. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'll cut all that out, by the way. But uh, okay. so, but the, the other thing I think is that's kind of interesting too, is, you know, how do you tell parents today who, um, you know, with school shootings and all this stuff going on now that their kid can't have a way to contact them in school? Like that's going to be an issue. And then it's like, you know, even if it's just like, oh, well, they can only have a track phone, then it's like, I got to pay for two different phones. And how is the school going to monitor whether or not the kid has a track phone? Like, that's a tough one, too, because I think if I had a kid and I was sending them to public school, I would you know, like, no, they got to have a cell phone on them. I got to be able to know where they are in case yeah. the worst. Yeah, I get it. I, I, I feel like these are tough choices. Parenting is not easy. And yes. this is not making it easier. And but but there are tough choices. And one of them might be that for a period of time, this nothing's forever, maybe right. a dumb phone for when they're at school. And then you let them be online at home. And this is better anyway, out in the living room, out in the dining room, you can't mm -hmm. go off to your room for hours and hours and hours with a connected device. You know, you do things that, you know, you find the happy medium. It's not going to be exactly what they want, but in the end, it's probably what's, you know, the doable. best. Yeah. Safer. Yeah. Um, yeah. What what exactly made you want to get involved with this kind of thing? What was the what was the point in your life where you were like, okay, something needs to be done? It's been, you know, brewing for a while. I've been in, in a variety of roles in my career that had to do with child well-being, child education, child protection. And as I'm getting to this point, I realized the seems to me one of the biggest threats to children's safety and well-being is, you know, overuse of social media and digital media. And we don't have enough really research or good answers for what the right what the right balance should be. I think there is merit. There is there are positive things happening, but I do think it's gone too far, too fast, and we need mm -hmm. to rein it in so that we're making sure that kids are having childhoods that prepare them for success, not to be stuck on a device. Used right. to that, thinking that that's what the world is. The world is a very big place with lots of real activity and it's like this is a watershed moment it's mm. a it's an inflection point in our society where we've allowed you know big tech social media to dominate so mm. many aspects of our lives and it would be important to step back and have a conversation about what's what's really best 
right. particularly for kids. Um, what are the ways that you would like to see this move? I mean, are you guys thinking about doing specials, a documentary? Like, cause I know there's different avenues you can take. So what are like your top three you would like to see done in the next couple of years? Uh, we're really excited about some of the legislation that's pending in Congress. There's um, a couple of really big bills that have huge bipartisan support. One is protecting kids online safety. Mm -hmm. Another one is protecting their privacy. So stay tuned. Hopefully those are both going to move out of the Senate and maybe even get all the way to the president's desk. I think that's a great place to start. Nice. We're also really beefing up um, our scientific uh, support of the scientific community through a number of big events. Next year, we're going to host a scientific Congress in Washington, D.C. to bring a group of experts together to think more about these issues and publish um, afterward. And then finally, we're really building up more and more resources for parents directly, whether it's through webinars. We have a Webby-nominated experts webinar. We also have tips for parents and different ways for parents to engage with material based on what their needs are. So that's we're trying to come at it from several different angles right now. That's great. Um, are you guys looking for like? Are you doing anything for funding and stuff like that? Or how are you? Because you're a non. This is a nonprofit, right? Mm -hmm. We are a nonprofit. So we are. Yeah. Is there a way funding you can is a, is, is a struggle? Yeah, <laughs> it is. Is there, is there some way you want message you want to get out like to where people can maybe contribute if they're looking to help, if they're looking, if there's a cause that they can jump on? Yes. Thanks, John. Yeah. If you would mm -hmm. go to childreninscreens.com, we would love to have you donate in whatever amount you can afford. It really helps us expand what we offer to parents um, every year. We also are really anxious to see our, public funding dedicated to this cause. We wanna see federal funding, just like when we've studied other issues, they should mm -hmm. fund more and more research in this area to create a bigger knowledge base. So hopefully we'll see more federal funding. And then finally, philanthropy, you know, all the foundations and um, donors out there who are looking for an important cause, we encourage you to consider the impact of digital media on child development. If you haven't moved in this direction, but you care about health, you care about mm -hmm. children, you care about communities, this is a major, major issue, and we would love to see philanthropy move in this direction as well. Beautiful. Um, I've got to ask you the last three questions that I ask every guest on the show. So it'll probably be a little, I mean, I've loved the conversation that we've had, by the way. So this is, I've been looking forward to talking to you. I've had guests on all month and I was like, Chris Perry's coming on soon. <laughs> like, right. on. I, I, I'm not even kidding. I like, I, I swear to God, this is like one of, I love talking about stuff like this, especially with somebody as intelligent as you who knows it so well, ins and outs, you know, and as uh, it's, it's just awesome what you're doing really. It, it's, I find it um, inspiring, but also I wonder like how you're not exhausted by it. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's encouraging to be like, you know, to see people as tenacious as you are doing that kind of stuff. And uh, anytime I see people, you know, dedicating their life to a good cause, I'm like, my God, <laughs> like I'm, I just, you know, it's, it's unbelievable. So uh, thank you for what you're doing. Um, last three questions that I ask every guest. Uh, one is if you can go back in time and talk to your younger self, what piece of advice would you give yourself that would help you today? Oh, wow. Um hmm. Be happy with the body and the life you're in. Be grateful. Nice. Love that. That's one of those messages that I feel like I, the more I hear it from every um, guest I've had on from every different field, whether they are an astronaut or a musician or a comedian or whatever, there's just a lot of people that are like, man, I wish I could have told my, told myself to just 
chill out, relax. You're great. You're doing good. And it's, it's nice yeah, to hear because absolutely. to kids, everybody looks like they're put together from day one and you're like, yeah, no, no, <laughs> <laughs> not even close. Um, second question is what had to end in your life, good or bad that led you to where you are today? Um, the good thing that happened in my life was I had the privilege of meeting some very, very powerful, influential people who put children first in their work and, and put their own resources behind big efforts to protect children. And I felt like it was an opportunity to contribute to some you know, a vision that others had that was, you know, a new a, a new way of looking at the world that what if we really asked ourselves, are the kids okay? What if we oriented all of our planning and spending in a way that put kids first? Mm -hmm. So I feel really fortunate to have worked with people that have invested that way. And did something you were doing before that end so that you could start working on this? Well, I moved away from doing work that was um, after children were in a pretty tough spot. They'd already been in prevention and early intervention, trying to do everything possible to prevent those harms from happening. Mm -hmm. And it was, it is, a, it really, it was very much a, because science came out that showed how much better off um, we all are. If we have childhoods that are uh, where we're protected and, and we have, you know, the love of, of at least one caregiver and we have the opportunity to learn. So I just felt like there was an aha moment where uh, several new studies came out. This is in the nineties. That's how old I am. And it felt like it was a call to action. Like there's gotta be a better way than going in and trying to rescue kids from tough situations. What if we could prevent that situation from ever happening? Beautiful. That's awesome. Um, and the last question is just a goofy question that ties into the show. So if this was a genuine dystopia more so than it is now, so either government collapse or your choice, alien zombies and a uh, climate change or a comet heading toward the earth, but you wake up and you know it's everybody's last day. Um, what would be your epic death? How would you want to go out? Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it would involve some kind of fast moving. You know, I'd either go get myself on the fastest moving boat in the bay, or I would get myself in a convertible or on a very fast bike. And I would just want to go, I want to feel the wind in my hair and I'd want to feel the warm sun on my back. And I would want to feel like I, you know, was experiencing something exhilarating. Thank you so much for, uh, for coming on and spending time with me. I really appreciate it. And anytime you want to talk about this stuff or come back on, or if you've got, you know, uh, more stuff to plug coming up, I hope you do. Yeah, that would be great, John. This has been wonderful. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Peace. Bye. Dystopia tonight.